Hey, Jordan, dude, I am so glad to have you on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this ever since I came across your material, started reading your book, by the way. Um, man, I am super intrigued about the man behind the book. So thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, yeah, man. Happy to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me. So you've got this new book coming out. It's called Redeem Your Time. You've got seven biblical principles for being purposeful, present, and wildly productive. I like the wildly productive that you threw in there, by the way. Awesome, awesome language that you used in here. Uh, First of all, what was the inspiration behind the book? You've written written many books before that, um, but what was the inspiration for you to, uh, to, to be devoted to this for the period that you needed to have? Yeah. So here's the deal, right? Like I've always been obsessed with time management. I spent my whole career as an entrepreneur. I've read more than 40 books on this topic. And I've always had three big problems with time management books. Don't get me wrong. I love them. I love the deep works of the world, the getting things done of the world, but three big problems with these books. Number one, they are centered on what I would call works-based productivity. Right. Mm-hmm. Nearly every one of these books, the idea is that, hey, you're feeling overwhelmed, entrepreneur. Uh, follow my system, do exercises X, Y, and Z, and then you will feel peace. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a Christian, I believe I already have peace. Right. Romans 5 1, I have peace with God, ultimate peace. Right. I, peace is my starting place. Now, I do time management exercises X, Y, and Z, but I don't do them to get peace. I do them in response to peace as an act of worship. And that's just a radically different way to write a book. My my second problem with these books is that they all fail to account for how the author of time managed his time. When he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, Christian or not, I think it's pretty hard to argue with the fact that Jesus was the most productive person who has ever lived. And yet I've never read a time management book that studied how he spent his time on earth. This is freaking crazy. Like I, I legitimately don't understand it. And you might not like think the gospels have a lot to say about how Jesus manages time, but they do, especially when you read the gospels for what they are. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are biographies. So sure, they got a lot of theology. They got a lot of ethics, but they also show us the daily habits and lifestyle of Jesus, the most purposeful, present, wildly productive person who ever lived. And that's what the book is, right? Redeeming Your Time is essentially these seven timeless time management principles from the life of Christ mapped to 32 hyper-practical practices to help us walk like Jesus walked here in the 21st century. So that was the second problem. None of these books accounted for how Jesus manages time. And the third and final problem, you probably experienced this, Josh, as great as deep work, getting things done, uh, digital minimalism, all these books are essentialism by Greg McEwen. I love these books. They all focus on a single piece of a much larger puzzle of time management. Before I wrote this book, if I was sitting down having coffee with a young entrepreneur and they're like, Jordan, man, I'm swamped. I'm having a hard time managing my time. Help me out. I would recommend a dozen books yeah. over the course of that conversation, which is the last thing somebody wants to hear. But I would recommend a dozen books because each of them had a critical piece of the time management puzzle, but no one of those books contained all the pieces and connected them together. And I believe that by looking at these seven timeless time management principles from the life of Christ, you could see how all the pieces connect together. And that was my audacious goal with this book. Yeah, I I am loving, like there are books where you just, when you start reading it, you don't want to put it down. 
Yeah. And that is that I'm not, I'm with, I will tell you with honest feedback. That's exactly how I feel with your book right here. You've got amazing stories in it. I love your writing. Um, I know one of the uh, reviews that you got was from Mark Batterson, uh, yeah. who happens to be like literally one of my favorite authors and just guys in general. So yeah. And, and uh, you are, yeah, I mean, you're vastly getting there right there. Cause I just, I, I love your writings, man. Um, you've just done a really great job that you can just tell there's, there's so much authenticity behind your writing. Um, and so that really comes out in your words. And so, uh, you know, first of all, thanks for just saying yes to what God has given you as a talent. Um, I think that's amazing that you do that. I'm just curious to know, like, what's gotten you to this point in your life? You know, you had a very successful career as a, uh, um, as a guy at a tech, um, and then to kind of go into this realm. I mean, dude, I'm telling you like following, like, there's one thing to follow God. There's one thing to follow Christ, but it's another thing to like make your entire career around that. Right. And, and, and what that looks like. So give us a backstory on this brother. Yeah. So, um, spent 10 years as a tech entrepreneur, sold mm-hmm. two companies, most recently exited as CEO, uh, the most successful of my ventures. I'm still chairman of the board, but I don't have daily responsibilities there. It's a company called Threshold 360. And as I was exiting my second company, it's about five years into my career, I was pretty sure I was going to start another company. That's what you do, right? When you sell two companies, you go start a third. Yeah. Uh, but I went to church one Sunday and I heard this guy preach a very familiar sermon, making me feel guilty about how dare I want to go work in business and create more jobs and make more money when there is a need for people to go plant churches all around the world. And so I felt convinced of this. And so I started praying about it. And by by the grace of God, there was this godly mentor in my life who pulled me aside one day. He knew what I was considering. He knew I was thinking about starting another company and he knew I was considering planting a church. Mm. And what he said shocked me. He's like, Jordan, why in the world are you thinking about planning a church? And I, I'm like shocked. Like this guy leads Bible studies. I'm like, because I love Jesus. Like that's what you do. Mm-hmm. He's like, don't you get that your work as an entrepreneur is ministry? Mm. I was like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so he gave me a, a, a great book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. And it rocked my world. It changed my life. It helped me understand that all of our work, all good work, right? Uh, is ministry. It's a means of serving others and glorifying God. And so that set me on this trajectory. I started writing about this. I wrote my first book called The Create for Christian Entrepreneurs. It took off in 2017. Uh, And so, yeah, so the book took off, uh, had a lot of momentum around it at the same time that the business I was running was growing 50% a quarter. And I just realized I can't do these two big things at the same time. Like mm-hmm. I've got to put all my eggs in one of these baskets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the irony is I now spend 100% of my time basically preaching the church that their work outside of the church matters mm-hmm. deeply to God <laughs> and to others. So that's kind of the path I got to. And listen, Josh, like the hardest professional decision I've ever made in my life, maybe the hardest decision, period, mm-hmm. I've ever made in my life was stepping down as CEO of that company. I mean, it mm-hmm. was the entrepreneurial dream job. We were very well financed, growing like a weed, but I just believe the people in this world who have the greatest impact are the people who make the hardest choices, saying no to good things so that they can focus on the best things that God has called them to do in this world. Do you feel like you were, I mean, you were obviously wildly successful in that, uh, that uh, venture. 
Do you feel like you were working out of your alignment though? I mean, was there like, was this this internal battle where you're like, (laughs) you know, first of all, God, I feel like I'm just made for so much more. Like what was that internal battle like for you? I want to make one thing clear before I answer the question. This was not a decision of, oh, this work here running this tech startup is quote unquote secular in right. ministry. And this work writing for the church is, that was not a part of the calculus at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's the message I'm adamantly opposing in everything I do. Yeah, part of it was an issue of competency, right? Like I, um, you know, it's funny. I, I view my work today as an author and podcaster as entrepreneurship. I just view it not as tech entrepreneurship, but content mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. So I actually think it's a pretty similar skill set As an entrepreneur or a writer, you identify gaps in a market, you design a product to bridge that gap, and then you set up systems for it to thrive without your direct involvement over time, yeah. right? It's a very yeah. similar skill set, but but there is a big enough difference between bringing tech and content products to market that I felt like I needed to focus more intensely on one of those two disciplines. And for me, I looked at my leadership of this tech startup and said, you know what? There's probably a hundred maybe a thousand people in the world who can run this specific business as well, if not better Mm. than I can. Mm -hmm. On the other side of the coin, there's not a lot of people raising their hands and saying, I can think of 50 different books, 20 different podcasts, 10 different Netflix specials to help Christians understand that their work matters, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's just a more unique lane. And once I saw that, I was like, yeah, I got to occupy that blue ocean. You know, part of it was strategic, mm. right? It's like, this is wide open territory. Somebody's got to fill this need. And I feel the Lord has equipped me to do it. I got to go do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that you said yes. I love that you said, and, and of course, obviously it was all ba- based off of prayer. And of course that relationship yeah. you have the Lord. And so you had the confidence to do that. I, I think it's, it's just amazing to be able to jump off that ledge and say, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you here. Like you put this on my heart, right? And you've given me the talents. I've, I've identified that you've identified that in me and, and now I got to go. So, I mean, that's awesome, brother. That's why we're having the conversation today. So I just, I love it. <laughs> um, so let's get into the book. Um, yeah. I mean, you had me once again, from the opening chapter here, one of the things that I really look forward to when I write, when I read books is uh, just one liners. Like I love little things where like, I, I can take a sentence and say, and I can repeat it, right? I can use it as a one-liner. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me out of it, and I was just, I'm taking notes. My favorite books, by the way, what I do is I take an Evernote and I take the areas that I've highlighted and then I go back in and I actually make them into a document because they're just amazing nuggets, dude. And I've already started to do this with your book. So I'm telling you, it's just an awesome book. One of the things I love what you said in here is that God doesn't need you or me to finish our to-do lists right? It's if the things on our to-do lists are on God's to-do list, he will complete them with or without us. You know, as a, you know, as an entrepreneur, but as a, as somebody that is driven for continuous success, the thing that continue, that keeps us up at night, the things that weighs us down, the things that doesn't allow us to enjoy the moments is that overwhelming to-do list. I would love for you to just to dive into that and how your principles that you talk about in the book, help us understand that to-do list, the importance of it. And then of course, obviously, where does God play into that? Yeah. So I'll answer the question in a roundabout way. Uh, I got three young daughters, seven, five, and two. Mm-hmm. And every night before I put them to bed, I'll look them in the eyes and say, hey, kids, 
you know, daddy loves you no matter how many good things you do. Right. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. you saying this in the book, yeah. dude. I, I love like, it. Uh, yeah. You know, I love you no matter how many bad things you do too. Right. And they're like, yeah. I say, who else loves you like that? And they always say Jesus or, or Kate, my, my five-year-old theological stickler says, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. Uh, we're not Catholic, but she acts like she is. And I love it. Uh, and, and that there's a beautiful truth here, right? When we work, uh, in order to earn somebody's favor, mm-hmm. uh, our parents, the respect of our parents, the respect of our peers, God's favor, man, that is an exhausting place to be. You can never, ever win that battle. But mm-hmm. When you work out of a response to unconditional favor, that's intoxicating, right? Because now I want to be productive, not because I need to, but because I want to hit the ball over the fence in order to make my dad proud, right? This is a very different place to operate from. So yeah, we have these never-ending to-do lists. And part of being at peace with it is recognizing that we're all going to die with unfinished to-do lists, right? And being okay with that, knowing that the important stuff on our to-do list is the stuff that's important to God. And the Mm -hmm. things on his to-do lists can be completed by anybody. I'm not special. Mm -hmm. You're not special, Josh, right? (laughs) If I die tomorrow (laughs) and God wants this work to continue, he'll find somebody else to do it. He didn't need Moses to lead his people to the promised land. So he chose Joshua. He didn't need David to complete the temple. So he had Solomon do it. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. And ironically, that's one of the most empowering truths in the world. Because now I can just go out and I am free to choose the work I think I could do best to serve others and to bring God glory. And just know that the results are in his hand and he loves me unconditionally regardless of how productive I am. That it's that is such a freeing way of saying it, man. I mean, I I, I love it. Like I said, uh, I even I the couple things that you had said in there already is were, is in the book. So I love how you're referencing back into that book. I love what you ask your daughters. Um, I've got a I got a prayer that I say over our children every night, but I love that. I, I, and I love how you put it in the spin. Uh, and like I, you know, you know that you know that Daddy loves you. Uh, no matter how many good things you do. Right. And I know you followed up with the other one, but usually it's us going, you know, you know, dad loves you no matter how many bad things you do. Right. Yeah. And we yeah, always yeah, like yeah. emphasize that not necessarily all the good things. So I love how you've been taking uh, our modern language and twisting that a little bit to try to get something more out of it. You also do a fantastic job of admitting that work is good. Right. At the very <laughs> beginning good. of the book, you talk about it, the Hebrew word for this, which I'm going to totally butcher is Avada. Right. Avoda. Yeah. Avoda. You got really and, close. Yeah. And, and how, how work is like, God always meant us. And I, and I, you know, I've, I, I understand the Bible enough and I, I say the same thing in the sense is that, you know, we were, we were made to work, but you give such a great spin on this because of pre-sin and then post-sin what work has turned into. Can you got, can you dive into that and give the much better explanation for that for us? It would be, oh my gosh, it'd be a joy. Yeah. So I think a lot of times we fall into this lie that work is inherently bad. Mm-hmm. That's not what Genesis 1 through 3 says. In fact, Genesis 1, let's talk about how good work, work isn't just good. Work is godlike. Genesis mm-hmm. 1, before God tells us that he is holy, that he is holy, loving, omnipotent, just, merciful, all true, 
He tells us that he is creative. He's a God who creates. He's a God who is productive. He is a God who works. Genesis 2 says he rolled up his sleeves and planted a garden in the east, right? He gardened, right? Uh, This is radical, and it gives great dignity and meaning to the work that all of us do today. Now, Genesis 3, human beings sinned. Work became difficult, right? But it's still good. And the word that scripture uses in Genesis 2 for work, when it says that God created man, put him in the garden to work it, is this Hebrew word, avodah, which is also translated, the exact same Hebrew word is translated to mean work and worship, right? And the point is inescapable. I don't even have to say it, but I will. Work is worship. It is imperfect worship uh, post-fall. But here's the beautiful truth. I want your listeners to remember this if they're having a rough day today. Go read Isaiah 65. A lot of times we think that in heaven, all we're going to do is sing all the time of worship. That is not what the Bible says. Isaiah 65 Hmm. says that one day we will work forever without the curse on a new earth and no longer will our labor be in vain. Right. Mm-hmm. Our, we will, Isaiah 65 says, we will long enjoy the work of our hands. Work mm-hmm. is going to be perfect avodah, yeah. perfect worship. Once again, we can look forward to that with hope uh, and work in ways that remind ourselves that perfect work is coming once again. I love it, dude. You know, one of the things that I pray on a daily basis for um, in the ventures that we continue to keep adding and growing and, and, and expanding in is that the work is not in vain. Just yeah. keep asking God, like, do not allow us to work in vain through this. So I, I love how you tied all that together. Um, you know, for those of us that um, feel like there's a greater purpose in calling, right? There's, there's the, you know, I mean, I think a lot of, I think everybody to a certain point feels like they were meant for something greater, but there's, there's those that are just driven by it. Right. Um, I love what you did. You gave permission. I, one of the things I love about your book so far is that you, you give permission to feel these emotions that are deep inside of us, such as immortality, and timelessness. Um, you know, you actually address this, that we have, yeah. it's okay to have this understanding, this need, this desire, yeah. this ache for immortality. Um, but once the thing, you also followed up with that, we will all die with unfinished symphonies. Like I said, I just pulling out one-liners from the book, dude. Yeah. I just love this. Yeah. Would you go into that? Cause Totally. Permission for these people, I think, is so, so important for them to, to understand and feel these things. Totally. So chapter one of the book, I sketch out these five biblical truths about time and productivity. Because before we can tackle our time management problems, we really got to get to the root and mm-hmm. understand what God's word says about time and our role in his mission in the world. And real quickly, I'll sketch them out, and then I'll come back and dig a little bit deeper into one thing you just asked me about. So here are the five truths. Number one, our longing for timelessness is good, mm. God-given, right? I'll come back to that in a second. Number two, sin has ensured we will all die with unfinished symphonies. We just talked about that. We're all going to die with uh, with overwhelming to-do lists. Number mm-hmm. three, God will finish the work we leave unfinished if that work is in accordance with his plans. Job 42 says his purposes will not be thwarted, right? Regardless right. of how productive I am. Number yeah. four, the gospel is a double-edged sword. It is both our source of rest and ambition. And then number five, we can know how God would manage his time because Jesus was a person and he managed a 24 hour time period, right? So let's go back to the first one for a second. 
I think a lot of times in the church, I, listen, we all want our work to outlive us, especially entrepreneurs. Right. We want to, as Jim Collins said, be built to last. I'm a big Hamilton fan. <laughs> Hamilton, this is a theme of the whole musical. He says, I want to build something that's going to outlive me. Right. And when his wife says, just stay alive, shouldn't that be enough? He's like, no, it's not enough. We all know that's not enough. It's not enough for us to just get by in this life and stay alive. We want to do work that outlives us. And Ecclesiastes tell us that longing was implanted there by God himself, right? We were created to live forever. We were created to work forever. See Genesis one and two. Uh, and we were created for that work to last into eternity. See Isaiah 60, right? Again, sin screwed all that up. But that longing for timelessness isn't bad at all. And I think a lot of times in the church, we're told that that longing for timelessness is, is pride and yeah. arrogance yeah. and self-serving. And sure, it can be those things, but the root of it isn't. It's a very, very good thing. And I think we need to lean into that. Now, when we lean into that from a biblical perspective, it reminds us that not all things last forever. Things done by the spirit through the spirit are what lasts into eternity that could include the products of our work, right? Uh, but um, but I think we need to embrace that idea that this immortality is not, the longing for immortality is not misplaced. I mean, this is what Jesus said emphatically at the resurrection. He said, yeah, listen, your suspicion that life is supposed to last forever. Yeah, it was right. See, I rose from the dead and I'm making all things new, as he says in Revelation 21. So we ought to lean into that, I think, more in the church today. Love it, dude. Like I said, it just, you know, giving permission to have the, to feel that way, giving permission, understanding that God put that into us, those emotions, those feelings that we need that we need to be, Here, able you, want, to you want me to blow that. your mind? Yes. Go please read, do. When we're done, when we're, when we're done, <laughs> I didn't write about this in redeeming your time. Go read Isaiah 60. Okay. Isaiah 60. Is Gotta write picture, this down, brother. Yeah. It's a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. It's a reversal of the tower of Babel. Right. So at the Tower of Babel, human beings were using their work to make a name for themselves. They wanted to make them famous. They wanted to build up their names. And God said, nope, I'm going to scatter you across the face of the earth. Right. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 60, all the nations are coming back together and they're coming into the city. And the city is the new Jerusalem on the new earth, the new heavens and the new earth. But here's the crazy thing. They're not coming empty handed. They're bringing cultural artifacts that the readers left to assume came from their time on earth. It says it names the ships of Tarshish, the sheep, the agricultural products of some other nation that I can't remember the name of. Mm -hmm. The point is, and Tim Keller has commented on this, a number of theologians have commented on this, the work we create, the physical things we create mm -hmm. right now in this life, have the chance to pass through into our eternal dwelling with God on the new mm. earth. And if that doesn't fire you up to mm -hmm. create with excellence and genuine love mm. uh, in the power of the spirit, I don't know what does, man. Like that gets me, I want this book to be considered what Isaiah 60 calls the glory of the nations uh, laid down at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, I'm a little blown away right now. <laughs> I'm trying to, yeah, I'm, trying to that? I'm just trying to process it, process that dude, because it's never been, you know, I, I know in scripture, it talks about, um, uh, you know, do not collect things that don't do not yep. collect artifacts and do not collect things because of the, of the, of moths. Right. Yep. And, um, we were never, 
like we're, you know, we're never should be focused on those types of things. So that's interesting, man. I really need to dissect that. I need to go into Isaiah and, uh, and read that and, and really, uh, I think format some more questions. Yeah. Oh man. Yes. Well, one of the things you do is you also give practical application to this too. I think I love the fact that you've not only identified these areas, these things that we want to improve in these things that really correlate with our life. And of course, um, uh, Jesus and, and, uh, in the Bible, give us some practical application pieces. Um, yeah. uh, you know, you can go in any direction. One area that I do yeah. want you to touch on is these is yes and no. Like, how do you yeah. say yes? How do you say no? Yeah, let's, let's go there. Right. Cause I think this is hard for a lot of entrepreneurs. So, um, chapter seven is all about this principle of eliminating all hurry. Mm-hmm. Jesus was crazy busy, worked incredibly hard in the gospels. But he never did it in a frantic, hurried way. And a key to ensuring that we are busy but unhurried is getting really good at protecting our calendars and saying no, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I think we need a unique approach to this word be, uh, because you know secular advice on this topic is, you know, if something's not aligned with your goals, say hell no. It's like that's not Jesus's example, right? Like sometimes he said yes to people's requests, uh, but I think more of us need help saying no than saying yes. So in the book. I sketch out a few questions I love to ask that help me say no to requests for my time. And I've broken them down into questions I ask of favors, right? Things that primarily bring others value with my time and Mm -hmm. opportunities, things that primarily bring me value. So real quick, I'll sketch out three questions for each of these buckets. Okay. Anytime somebody asks me for a favor, Jordan, can you meet up for coffee? Or Jordan, can you serve on this committee at church, right? I ask, number one, am I the best person to say yes to this request? Hmm. Josh, if you asked me to come to Casper, Wyoming and build a treehouse with you, I would say, <laughs> absolutely not. I have city hands that are useless uh, in building a treehouse, right? Uh, yeah. Similarly, if somebody asked me to serve on the finance committee at church, it's probably not going to happen because my wife's a CPA and she'd be way better at that than me. So am I the best person to say yes to this request? Number two, is this the most generous use of my time? Mm. You mentioned Mark Batterson, who's a good friend. If, I, if I'm in DC, right? And I shoot Mark Batterson a text message, like, hey, can you meet up for an hour long coffee? The most generous use of Mark's time is not to say yes to me. It's to say no, so that he can focus on writing his next book that's going to serve me and thousands of other people Mm. with that time, right? Mm -hmm. And then number three, the third question I love to ask of favors is, would I say yes to a hundred similar requests for my time, right? Saying yes to the coffee meeting that somebody's asking you to take tomorrow, you're not just deciding whether or not you're going to say yes to that meeting, right? You are, as small as that decision seems, slowly building a habit, of saying yes to meetings with the exact same profile in the future. So mm-hmm. those are three questions I love to ask of favors. Opportunities, things that primarily bring us value. Here, here are my three go-to questions. Number one, this is a great opportunity for what? I do this all the time. Somebody will invite me to an event or to like hang out for a weekend uh, for networking purposes. And I'll go to my wife and be like, babe, it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for what? Like that's not a complete sentence. You got to be able to answer that question. What is it a great opportunity for? Number two, by saying yes to this thing, am I trying to do good or make myself look good, right? Because a lot of times I say yes to going to events just because I want to look cool. And that's a lame reason 
uh, to say yes to something. And then finally, what will I say no to? And I think most of your listeners understand this, right? You're not, you're not just trying to say yes or no to this thing. You've got to evaluate it in the context of all the other opportunities you got. So th- those are the questions. That's the framework I try to use when trying to say yes or no to requests for my time. I love it, dude. I was listening to um, Andy Stanley uh, the other day, and uh, he was uh, just interviewing Kerry Newhoff in his new book, and it's very similar in the sense of yeah, some time management. Best, yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, one of the things that, uh, Carrie was talking about is like, Hey, listen, I just had to say no to doing weddings. I just had to say no to that. Like that was just something that, and just like with your, I think very similar to your, would I say this a hundred times? Cause that's what exactly what it turns into is it goes over and over and over being, you're like, Oh, well, I've already committed to that before. How do I not commit to it now? And I think that's the bigger picture is then you have that guilt in there, uh, when you've already made made that commitment one time. That's exactly right. It's a, it's forming of a habit and just being cognizant of that. I think helps people put themselves in that frame of mind of, okay, am I going to say yes to a hundred similar requests like this in the future? And most times people are going to say no to that question. Yeah. I love that we talked about yes and no. The other thing that we I'd like to hit on is that you also talk um, about productive rest, like how to embrace yeah. productive rest. And so I'd love for you to talk to the audience and, and myself personally as well, too. Um, some of the keys that I came up with or not came up with the things that I've, that I've, uh, that I've heard. One of the things I loved about Mark's last book was this 24 or 48 hour silent retreat. And I've done that, man. I've done that a handful of times already. And I'm actually getting ready to do another one next Friday because I've recognized in my life how powerful that is. Um, but I would love to know your perspective on this restfulness uh, and how to be productively restful with it. Yeah. So a lot of times, especially entrepreneurs, trust me, I was there for years. Think of rest, whether it's sleep or Sabbath or, you know, taking a walk around the block downtown in between blocks of deep work as terribly unproductive things to do. Uh, Yeah, that's not what science says, right? It's not what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, (laughs) Jesus slept. Jesus encouraged the disciples to take breaks throughout the day. And what the science says is that rest is not only productive, it's one of the most productive things we can do. Uh, And so in this chapter of the book, I break down these three counterintuitively rhythms of productive rest. Number one, bi-hourly breaks, right? So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, are fans of deep work. I am too. I love my 90 minute blocks of deep work, but here's the deal. You can't go from one block to the next without a break. Your body pulses in what are called ultradian cycles, which means that every 90 minutes, your body is screaming for a 15 to 30 minute break and taking that break will make you far more productive in the next cycle. So that's number one, fire early breaks. Number two, getting an eight hour sleep opportunity every yeah. single yep. night. The data yep. is in, it's been in for 60 years uh, and we can ignore it all we want, but the science is crystal clear. Yeah. The vast majority of people need eight not seven hours of sleep every night. You are six times more likely to win an Olympic gold medal than to be one of these people with a rare genetic trait that enables you to get less than eight hours of sleep a night. That's mind boggling. That's mind boggling, right? And then the third is weekly Sabbath. Uh, Listen, there's a reason why God commanded this good gift because it's what it looks like to work in his image, right? He worked six days rested one, to be Mm -hmm. truly human, to be truly living in line with what it means to be the Imago Dei in God's Mm -hmm. image. 
is to rest one day a week. And by the way, these things aren't just productive towards our goals. Um, They're also productive for our souls, right? Because they're a means of preaching the gospel to ourselves and reminding ourselves that we are loved no matter how many good things we do (laughs) and no matter how many bad things we do, no matter how productive or unproductive we are, we are okay and the world keeps spinning. Our businesses keep spinning when we take a day off. I love it, dude. I, I mean, I will tell you, I don't typically write notes down as we're doing interviews, but I'm just writing some of these things down <laughs> right here, dude. Because I love it. Uh, it's just, this is awesome. So go into this a little bit. First of all, I'd like to know, like, when you say buy hourly blocks, how do you yeah. buy hourly blocks? Yeah. So I okay. All right. Let me clarify. This is much easier said in writing than speaking. I mean, B I hyphen hourly. Okay. Blocks. Yeah. By so every other hour, hour not, not it's B-U-I. a terrible term. B-U-I. No, no, no. B-I. Not, not buying okay. in terms of redeeming your time. No. Bye hourly. Okay. That makes more sense. I should have thought like, of that. I should have thought of that as I was writing. I was like, this can be terrible in podcast form. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we got clarification there, which okay, I'm good. I'm actually really glad that we asked. I, you know, I followed up with it because I would have been like, okay, how do you buy it? <laughs> Where do I buy these hours? Yeah. Uh, are they on sale at jordanreader.com? Uh, yeah. My mind just kept on, my mind was thinking like, well, Hey, listen, if you commit to these things for two hours, you've just bought yourself an hour. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what I was kind of thinking. Yeah. Talk about the, I'm really intrigued with you when you, the Sabbath uh, growing up, I will tell you, uh, my folks did a, just a tremendously good job um, keeping the Sabbath holy for the family. Interesting. Um, Good for we, you. That's rare. It, it, and, and it was painful though. I will tell you as a child, um, I don't think his mom and dad really didn't do a great job of communicating why we're doing it. You know, yeah. it was just yeah, yeah. more of like, to me, to us, it was a little bit more like a punishment, like yeah, you totally. play with your friends. You can't do this. You can't do this. All these things you can't do, not all of the things we get to do because of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have, str- I will tell you, like just with the modern pace of our world, we've got four children. We have a lot of sports activities that are going on and we run into this battle as well too of, man, like I know how important the Sabbath is. I know how important we need to be um, uh, committed to uh, that time with God. And just that, that restfulness that you talk about. Um, What do you say to parents that have a bazillion things going on? Like how do they, how do they be restful? Yeah. Great question. So I, my parents did not Sabbath and growing up, honestly, until like five or six years ago, when we started Sabbathing, I viewed Sabbath as a legalistic life sucking chore, a day filled with things I could not do rather than, as you said, a day filled with things I get to do. And my perspective changed when I reread what Jesus himself said about Sabbath to the Pharisees. When you read the gospels, Jesus basically agreed that the Pharisees had turned Sabbath into life-sucking legalism, right? He said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? And so I, I, I think when you read the Old Testament and you see the Sabbath command, it is almost always connoting this idea of not just ceasing from labor, but also feasting on the good things that God has given his people, right? Um let me, try, let me try to paint a picture that illustrates this point. Imagine this like massive banquet hall, right? And in the middle of it, there's this beautiful table. It's filled with the most incredible foods you've ever seen. Imagine like Hogwarts dining room, right? As a table with this amazing food. And at the head of the table is Jesus, 
right? And all week long, you and I are the servers. We're bussing tables. We're serving Jesus. We're serving his guests. Sabbath is first an invitation to take off our aprons, put down the tray, and rest and take a break. But this is where the analogy breaks down, right? Because in a restaurant, the servers take their breaks in the kitchen, right? Or in the parking lot. Yeah, they're invited yeah. to see in the alley. Exactly. But they're <laughs> never invited to feast at the table with their guests. But you and I, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are adopted children of God. We aren't invited just to cease from our work. We're invited to pull up a chair next to King Jesus and feast on his goodness and his gifts. That's what Sabbath is, right? And so for my family, sure, there are productive things we don't do. For example, we don't do dishes. Uh, we don't talk productive. We talk about work in the context of what we're grateful for, but not about, oh, I'm really worried about that meeting on Tuesday, right? But it's so much less about what we don't do. What we don't do makes space for the things that we do do, right? We go yeah. to church and spend time with our church family. We spend a little bit more time in God's word in the morning. My kids... Uh, that's the one day of the week that they watch a full length movie, which is usually, uh, you know, frozen for the 85th time. Right. Yeah, yeah. I give them they have a, a, a pumpkin spice latte every Sunday morning. We yeah. eat the best takeout. We order crumble cookies. Right. We go out to a park or swim in our pool in our backyard. Sabbath is an island of get to in a sea of have to. Right. It is a day. Say it again. Say it again. It's an island. Sabbath. Of is an island of get to in a sea of have to. All week long, I'm knocking out to do's, the things I absolutely have to do to keep my yeah. business and my world spinning, right? Yeah. Sabbath is the day that I just get to enjoy being a child of God, enjoying the good things you've given. I have a favorite tradition. I'm a big crap beer guy. Uh, so I have like special reserve beer just for Sabbath. It sits there in the back of the refrigerator all week long. It's just eyeing me. It's like, hey, today was hard. Sabbath's coming. <laughs> uh, right? I love it. I love it. But that's what Sabbath is for me. So I'm yeah. trying to convince more people to see Sabbath not as this legalistic chore that they have to do, but as the way Jesus saw it, as this good gift that was made for us, for our good, for the good of our productivity, but also for the productivity of our souls. Love it, dude. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that Sabbath is on Sunday. You know, yeah, you know what? Saturday it is for us. Like... But listen, I got lots of friends who observe Sabbath. Like I got some uh, pastor friends who observe Sabbath on Saturday or yeah. on Fridays. And yeah. listen, I know, listen, we live in a broken world. Some people can't afford to take a full day off. That's a very real thing. Yeah. My advice yeah. to them Sabbath for an hour a week. Put your mm. phone away, turn it off, just have quiet solitude get takeoff from your favorite place, whatever it is, just have some space in your calendar where yeah. striving can cease. You yeah. can cease and you can feast. That could be for a full 24 hours. It could be for an hour. It doesn't matter. Just do it. Just accept the good gift that God has given you. Love it, dude. Thank you for saying that last part too, because I'm still trying to figure out, you know, for those parents that are just so committed yeah, dude, and so overcommitted hard. and when, when it comes to, well, cause you've got work and that's one hat that you're wearing, but then you also have that support where you're also, maybe you're coaching. I mean, I, I coach a lot of my, my children in sports and activities and we're down these tournaments and we're going here. And then, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're just constantly supporting the children. I know that there's things that we have to say no to. We're actually getting to that point. It's like, Hey, listen, when is enough enough? Right. Family is still important. 
Um, but thank you for also, once again, just giving that permission to say, you know, Sabbath can be just for an hour for now. Right. I mean, but the whole goal is like, once you have an hour of it and you see how amazing it is, when you have this perspective, you're going to want to, you're going to want to have more than just an hour. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Start small, start small and build from there. And they just see, just see what the Lord does with that time. Right. Uh, Just trust him that he's going to deliver good things. This is a prosperity gospel, right? This is just enjoying the things he's already giving you. Just trust that, right. That that'll be a fruitful time. And I think you're going to want to find more of it. Love it, man. Well, listen, we're going to keep going. We, we, we're, I got to start wrapping this up, but I do have a few more questions that I want to make sure that, uh, well, first of all, not only the audience gets the answers to you, but I get the answer to <laughs> really great, man. This is like, I feel like we're having a one-on-one here. Um, you mentioned in the book, five reasons, uh, why Christians ought to set epic goals and yeah. we've already got the rest. We've said the yes and the no's we've talked about immortality you know, this, this concept of immortality. Yeah. I'd love to know, like, I'm really intrigued, like help us with the reasons why Christians should be setting oh. these epic goals. We should, this is what we should be known for. The great Christians of the ages, I'm thinking of William Wilberforce, right? Who's right. like, I'm going to yeah. end slavery yeah. in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big, hairy, audacious goal. I'm thinking of my friend, Scott Harrison, who runs Charity Water, the world's largest uh, nonprofit that raises money for clean water. Yes. He wants uh-huh. to end the water crisis in the world. That's a big goal. Here are five reasons why Christians should set the biggest goals. Number one, because we believe Ephesians 3.20 which says that God has the power to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine because he dwells in us. The creator God lives in us. How dare we not be the people taking the biggest swings in the world? What a shame. What a misrepresentation of the Holy Spirit when we set weak goals, right? That's reason number one. Number two, big goals are actually easier to achieve than small goals. Everybody sets small goals, thus that your competition paradoxically decreases as the size of your goal increases, right? Reason number three, big goals make it way easier for you to say no, right? Mm. Oftentimes when I'm talking to somebody who's having a really hard time saying no to stuff, I'm like, what are you really excited about in your work right now? Like nothing. I'm like, right. That's the problem. You yeah. need a burning yes in you. Something yeah. so big, so audacious, so inspiring that it's easy for you to say no to lesser things because everything else looks so much lesser in comparison, right? Uh-huh. Number four, big goals. And this is a, uh, this one is especially true for entrepreneurs. Big goals recruit others to your cause. Mm-hmm. As entrepreneurs, we <laughs> know that recruiting A-plus talent is priority number one through 10 yeah. of our ventures. Here's the deal. A plus talent doesn't want to work on boring problems. They want to change the world. They want to end the water crisis. They want to go work for my buddy, Brett Hagler, uh, who is trying to end homelessness by 3D printing affordable homes. That's a big, hairy, audacious goal, right? And guess what? Brett gets world-class talent applying (laughs) to come work for him. And here's the last one, right? Number five, as Christians, we know that it is impossible for us to fail entirely, right? Even, first of all, by setting a big goal, it's going to force you to make way more progress than you would have towards that goal than if you'd Mm -hmm. set it really small. But secondly, even if you did fall flat on your face, you are loved no matter how many good things you do, Mm -hmm. how many bad things you do. You are loved no matter how productive you are, right? And that is what enables us to ultimately take the biggest swings on the planet. And I'm just so frustrated, Josh, 
and looking around and seeing Christians with just these weak, weak, human-sized visions uh, for their work and for their lives. And the God of the universe says, I am with you. I am for you. And if you're working for my purposes, take the biggest swings of the world. Ah, I love it, dude. That's awesome. I love, love, love. I've, uh, I've had the pleasure to, uh, of helping some corporate <clears throat> nonprofits uh, uh, create business plans. And yeah. I will tell you, one of the things that I see is that they all want to try to put attainable goals in there, easy goals that they can get. And as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, it's like, I just don't get that. Like, no, no, no. Like we <laughs> could be throwing out goals out there that are so freaking big. It's going to take God's intervention for us to get there. Like it should intimidate so much knowing that we just we ain't going to be able to do this on our own. It's like he's going to have to step in here and help us out. So I, I love how you do it. I love the five explanations right there. That's super, super powerful. Um, man, this has been so much fun, dude. I, I know that uh, we've, we've got to, our time here has, has got to end here. Um, what do you want to leave the audience with? Um, you know, you've given a tremendous amount of advice. You've given some awesome takeaways here. Uh, you're going to, you want to speak some life into these people right now. Uh, what is it that you want them to take away from this time with you? Yeah. I want them to take away Paul's words in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, right? Paul spends the first four chapters of Ephesians preaching the gospel, the essence of the gospel. And he gets to Ephesians 5, and he's basically answering the question, okay, Paul, what is our response to the gospel? And he says, see then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, we're running out of time to do the work God's called us to do, yeah. right? We redeem our time because Christ saved us, not so that we would sit back and consume and just kind of kick our feet up for all eternity, right? He saved us so that we would go out and do good works that serve others well and ultimately bring him glory. That is the purpose of our salvation. Go look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Paul makes this super, super clear here. And our response to the gospel is to redeem our time, to manage our time as wisely as possible because we believe the work we do in this world matters deeply to God and to others. That's what I want to leave them with. Love it, buddy. Well, not only are you going to leave them with that message, I know you've got a ton of resources as well, too, and they are free. You've yeah. you've allowed this to, for the audiences to be free. Where can they find these resources and maybe give us an idea of some of those resources that sure. you have? Yeah, so I get a weekly devotional that goes out that expounds upon these truths every Monday morning. It's called The Word Before Work. You can get it for free at jordanrainer.com. We also have a weekly podcast called The Call to Mastery, where we interview some of the world's most incredible performers uh, and talk about how the gospel shapes their work in the world. Mm. And then, hey, listen, this isn't free, but we've been talking about Redeem Your Time, yes. uh, which is coming out October 19th. And here's the deal. You and I talked about this before we started. Yeah. Um I'm a big believer in going totally ridiculously over the top with pre-order incentives. So if you order the book before October 23rd, uh, you can enter to win a trip I'm giving away to the Holy Land. Because this book is all about walking like Jesus walked. I thought, we've got to send somebody to go walk where <laughs> Jesus walked. So it's an uh, epic eight-day trip. And I, listen, I know a lot of us aren't comfortable traveling internationally right now. Yeah. So I'm going to give you three years to book the trip. And if that's not good enough, you can opt for a $5,000 cash prize instead. I'll write the check myself. And listen, every win, super simple. Go get the book, redeem your time on Amazon, wherever you buy your books. Then go to jordanrainer.com and fill out the form right there and you'll be entered to win. It's J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-Y-N-O-R.com. 
Awesome, my man. Well, this has been fun. I am just, oh, I'm, I got so many notes. I got so many takeaways. I can't wait to listen to this thing again. Uh, I can't wait to, to share this with the audience. Uh, Jordan, this has been, I mean, I, I, I figured it was going to be pretty good. Just listening, you know, just, just uh, reading your book, but um, you have just uh, done an amazing job here. So thank, thank you. you, my friend. Um, thank, thank you for the work for... you're doing, Josh, man. You're great at this. So keep it up. Well, I appreciate it, buddy. It's, uh, it's easy when you have guys like you gals that uh, we've interviewed before that just come on and just have such a great passion for, for life, for people, for the Lord. And, uh, it just, it just comes so natural. So it's, uh, it's awesome, brother. Appreciate you. All right, guys. Hey, listen, we are done. This is it, man. 47, 48 minutes into this thing. And we've got uh, uh, another podcast on our belts. Listen, you guys know the price of admission of this podcast. The only thing that you have to do is you got to share it. You got to get this out. You got to share this with somebody that you know is going to be impacted by the words, especially the words that Jordan said today. I know it's going to impact you. But who do you know in your life that needs to hear this message from Jordan? Once again, you know the book's coming out October 19th. Go get it because you know how powerful this is going to be in your life. All right, guys. Take care. We'll see you soon.